Welcome to the Eddie Tinty Podcast number 1017. Uh, if you're in D.C., Chicago, or New York, I will be headed your way to do some stand-up September 5, 6, 7. I'll be at the D.C. Improv. Uh, then the following weekend, September 13, 14, just Friday and Saturday, I'll be at the Improv in Chicago. And then uh, October 3, 4, 5, I will be in New York, New York City at Caroline's on Broadway. If you go to ID10T.com uh, slash tour, that will get you uh, ticket links and uh, show you some other dates that are coming up. And then also, uh, again, I keep saying this, but we are seriously, it is happening. New products are landing in the ID10T shop, as well as uh, we're going to open a little vintage shirt store because I just like going and searching for old vintage shirts that I would wear. Um, but uh, we'd like to keep you updated on that. And then also, again, with stand-up shows and podcast guests and new products that we have in the store. So please, please, please go to id10t.com slash sign up to join our email list. Uh, you know, in the old days, email lists were the thing. And then it was like, ah, no one likes email lists anymore. Everyone goes to blogs. Then it was, ah, no one goes to blogs. Everyone goes to social media now. But I feel like we're getting uh, now back to, uh, I personally am signed up for a handful of email lists and I really like them. <laughs> <laughs> Just a little daily thing for things that I enjoy. So id10t.com slash sign up uh, to join our email list. And uh, let's go to the corkboard, though. Um, this is uh, events at id10t.com. We'll, uh, we'll get you onto the corkboard. So my, uh, my old pal Tony Thaxton, who was in a band called Motion City Soundtrack, which was one of the first episodes when we started doing the podcast in 2010. One of the very first episodes was Motion City Soundtrack. Uh, and also, we recorded it at the House of Blues, which is no longer on Sunset Boulevard. A lot of changes. Uh, but Motion City apparently is going to do some shows coming up. And also, Tony, who is a very funny, talented guy, has a new podcast called Bizarre Albums, which uh, explores the weirder side of music. Each episode's a quick 15-minute listen that celebrates and tells the story behind the strange albums that make you wonder how and why they exist. Doing deep dives on albums released by pro athletes, actors, fictional characters, sometimes in bands took a huge left turn. Albums already covered on the show include Bruce Willis, The Return of Bruno, The Simpsons Sing the Blues, and Shaquille O'Neal's Shaq Diesel. Uh, new episodes drop every Tuesday on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, everywhere you download podcasts. Great job, Tony Thaxon. I'm very happy for you. Also, Mike, At Mike Atkins writes, I was wondering if you could mention my album release on the corkboard. It's called Rivers, and it comes out September 3rd. Pre-release is available now on Apple Music. It was really hard to complete because during production, my mom passed away at age 78. Oh, Mike, I'm so, so, so sorry. And I send you so many hugs and so much love. I felt like I needed to finish it for her. Uh, oh, that's really beautiful. Mike, damn it, Mike. I'm going to get it right now. Uh, you can find more info at mikeatkinsmusic.com. Uh, again, events at id10t.com for your corkboard listing. This episode is Dr. Drew, who I've known for 25 years. Yep, that's the right number. Oh, my heart. Uh, 25 years. I met Drew when I worked at K-Rock. Uh, I used to fill in on Loveline all the time. And as I've said many times, um, Drew uh, helped me get sober back in 2003. I'm forever indebted to him. He is a good friend and uh, um, someone that I, I adore. So he is promoting uh, the Dr. Drew podcast. Uh, he also has the Adam and Drew podcast, the Life You Live podcast, Weekly Infusion podcast, which is the history of opium, which is really interesting, KABC's Midday Live podcast, and the Dr. Drew After Dark podcast and YouTube show. Uh, but you can find out about this and all things Dr. Drew if you go to drdrew.com. 
Um, it'll have the list of uh, everything there. So thanks to Drew for coming back on the podcast, uh, which I always love talking about. Uh, I just love talking about the mental health and the mental state of, of, of our culture, where we're at. And uh, he's a great guy to talk about that with. So here, and also funny. So here's episode 1017 of the ID10T podcast. Dr. Drew returns. Initiating ID10T protocol. Drew's mic technique right now is this like this is how you do it. I mean, I'm listen, I am a podcaster, but Drew's a fucking podcast. <laughs> like We're getting in. Drew, we are getting in. Drew, I mean, Loveline really was the prototype for a podcast in a way. I mean, it was a call-in radio show, yeah, but it was, it was really was, kind of a podcast. Yeah, we barely took breaks. We we hung out constantly. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was like and we were absolutely no awareness that we were doing a radio show. Right. We and, and you know, I do a daytime talk show now on AM radio and I'm acutely aware of breaks and call letters and pro, you know, promoting ahead and yep. resetting and blah blah. We never did any of that for 30 years on Loveline. No. Never. never. We just no. chatted. Well, especially because K-Rock particularly, I mean, I remember this from working there. They're very much like, don't don't sound too structured. Don't sound like a radio station. Because we're supposed to be like the anti-station. Yep. So it was everything was supposed to be loose. You were supposed to... Like, when you were talking over the beginning of a song, you couldn't do it too tight to the first beat. You couldn't do it on the... Don't make it sound good. It's really yeah, what they're telling In you. a way, yeah. Like, yeah. You, they like to kind of, when you'd, like, rifle through papers and be like, oh, what's going on? Yeah. You know? Yeah, which is weird because... And it used to drive Corolla crazy because he wouldn't adhere to that idea of the sort of the, op- the doors opening and people coming right. in. And he, he made him very upset. <laughs> it, it, well, partly because he has a little ton of ADD or something. Made him, but he didn't think it sounded good. So he'd get very... And I was like, look, I've been doing this for 20 years like this. It's so funny. The two, just thinking of the two, just thinking of you and, and Adam sitting in the Loveline studio and then your powers of analysis just start turning on each other. <laughs> you basically well, we just, do a podcast. Every, I know that. Every day. And that has morphed into pretty much 80% Adam abuses Drew. Right. Right, right, right. I, I Out of even, love. I, I he loves you. Anymore. He loves you. Is you that guys, what that is? It is. It's funny the things that like burrow under your skin, you know, just like like the things, you know, when you think about all of the responsibilities that you have yes. as a uh, as a broadcaster, as a podcaster, as a physician. Yes, as a, a lot of stuff gets to me. I, a, I, I was up all night on Tuesday night worrying about a patient. Uh, well, that's I want to hear stuff like that because well, that's that's nice to hear that a doctor's worried about. Yeah, a patient. I, it, I just it just I was bothered and troubled, and I didn't have a good sense of things and answer, and I had plan. Well, I was just troubled all night long, so my whole week was screwed up by that. You know, I say that to my therapist sometimes. I'm like, you know, how do you? Because I, I don't think I would be a good physician because I would just absorb. Well, being a good therapist, of the, it's very different. So, so that's that's a really interesting point, which is that your therapist has to sit and hold a boundary, right, and be deeply attuned to what's happening to you mm-hmm. and completely open and present to your experience, but not to have a contagious 
not to catch it mm-hmm. and not to be overtaken by it, whatever you're experiencing. That's that's the skill, right? Being able to hold a boundary yeah. and hold a frame of closeness right. at the same time. This isn't that. <laughs> this is this is you're presented with a challenging, complex medical and psychiatric case, and you're trying to figure it out, and you're trying to do the right thing. So you're having your house moment. Uh, it, it's a it's rarely like that because essentially everything on house was like a routine medical problem. They made sound like something bizarre, <laughs> but I mean, it's, it's not it's, lupus. It's 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 more that. How do you help this person get where they need to go, given the complexities of problems and the situation with families and the whatever their um, willingnesses are to participate in their own care? You know, in my world, when people use drugs and alcohol, they're often unwilling to participate. You know, and so it gets very. I I, I just go. I just get. I just get too much. It's codependency. It's it's what that is. Where I feel like I gotta solve this. I gotta make it better. Which just reminds me, patient just texted me something else. I forgot to talk to him about. Oh man! Well, there's just you just you just have. I mean, in addition to the normal entertainment responsibilities, (laughs) you actually have actual like people's life. People's lives hang in the balance for you. That's the other thing is the pressure of like. That's yeah, that it. is a hard job. Um, I, it, there's no harder job than being a, a general doctor. I'm telling you, an internist or a psychiatrist. They're really hard jobs. It's so hard. Yeah, I had to. Uh, I, I had to go to the doctor today because my stuff. I I think I ate something weird a couple nights ago, and then every couple of days. I've been getting these waves of stomach cramps. Mm. And so I just went into the doctor today and it is, it's like he's trying to solve it, poking around. Okay, it's mm. not that. Or you don't have a fever. Your white blood cell count's fine. You know, Good. it's just go on a bland diet, you know. But what were you, what were you experiencing? It was just this like stomach cramping. Cramping? Yeah, just like, ah, oh, just like waves of like right here. Why don't you get an endoscopy and see what's going on? I don't want a fucking tube shoved up my... Uh, not up your ass, down your mouth. I don't down want your... that either. But, you, he, you, you know, know he you wasn't... Should, here's what you should do. He wasn't overly concerned about it. And my doctor, by the way, personally, I think he overtests. But this time, he, you know, like, he's, okay. he's a tester tester. That's the reason. We put you on Pepsid or something? Uh, well, he was trying to put me on something Zantac. called... Uh, on Zantac and then something called, like, Donatol. Yeah. Which is, I, no pharmacy had. It's not used anymore. So uh, Don't do it. Yeah, I won't. Let, let me tell you the main ingredient in Donatol is phenobarbital. Oh, so, that's not good. Yeah, just... But it's a, it was a good medicine for cramps. It was good for that back yeah. in the day. Um, but uh, let me advise you on something that I think everyone should hear about. Yes. I'm very hot on. Please. Which is uh, genetic testing for risks for cancer. Mm-hmm. You know, we, people test for BRCA, right? Yeah. BRCA1, BRCA2, but there's also 28 other genes that we should be tested for. And I heard about this. I don't remember how I heard about it. Uh, probably because of my prostate cancer. And uh, so I thought, you know, by better test to see if it was any genetic thing. Low, oh, no, I beg your pardon. My sister was tested, and she had something. And I was like, geez, I better get a test. I have something called Lynch syndrome, MSH6. So I'm at high risk for stomach and colon cancer and prostate cancer. And so now I have to have upper and lower endoscopies every year. No. And my sons had to start having them at age 25. Oh, my gosh. But the point is, if you came in with that stomach pain and you had a Lynch, you would get an endoscopy. You know what I mean? Oh so God. you should do – it's a spit test. It's just called – it's color.com. It's called C-O-L-O-R. You know, I, my wife do and I it. have talked about the genetic Why testing. Why wouldn't you do that? Because there's a couple things. There's a couple reasons. Number one, she's like, I don't want someone – you know, it's like we're, we're basically – who has the rights to our genes, to our genetic maps, first of all? I don't care. I know. But second of all, second of all – I also do think that there is a little bit of a chicken and an egg with a, you know, a self-fulfilling prophecy or Dude, like it. I have prostate cancer. 
I got tested for a genetic predilection that I have mm-hmm. that also includes colon and stomach, which I can prevent. I, I had a hunch I needed a lever. I, I was pushing the screening more than I, more the insurance wanted to pay for. It's so normally every five to seven years. I was pushing like every three to five because I had a hunch it was in my family and stuff. And then this now, insurances pay for it every year. They want me to get it every year. God, no, it, but you know, but then what's going to happen is what's going to happen is I'm not going to get the cancer. No, you won't. Happen. Yes, I know, but I'll get results back, and it's like, oh, you have you you might be predisposed to get this, and then every time I get like a slight headache, oh, it's oh, gotta be this thing. I see. You, you, know what I mean? you don't trust yourself. I don't with trust. It. I don't trust my own uh, hypochondria to be able to. Ooh, that's to, a different thing. To sit okay. through it. I, I don't know if I can separate and go, well, I'm glad I have this information. You know, like, I just don't know if I can do that. I think oh. it just might be too. Chris, I'm I'll so just, worried I'll about just, you. I'll just stew you on know, it. <laughs> send it to me and I'll worry for you. <laughs> I'm really good at that. Oh, my God. No, no, it's fine. I, my Am wife- I driving you crazy? I'm holding the mic. Is this okay? Okay. Right. Ask your engineer if I'm ruining things for you. No, Drew's holding the mic in a way no one ever has. Well, it's like it's a sort mic of stick. like rock star. Yeah, it's he's holding it like a mic stick. He's yeah. like, there's little like spider legs on it, to, and he's gripping them from the bottom and really... Uh, making you turning it into a mic stick. That's yeah, you are. You are. But, uh, you know, he didn't seem overly concerned about the, about no, the, no, the you stomach, the stomach pain, but, uh, but it's fine. Well, I'm glad I'm not going to take the Donatol, but there's something else that's being sent over that's supposed to relieve. Bentil, uh, I'm sure it is, or something like that. So, maybe, maybe something, or um, uh, or heroin, right? That's uh, you know, that would stop the pain. Well, I good. know uh, because do you you do a podcast about opiates now? I, I do. I have two things. I do a podcast with Bob Forrest, guy mm-hmm. with the hat and the glasses yeah. from Slippery Rehab, and we it's we end up talking about opiates a lot. But I did a whole series on the history of opiates. Uh, a 14 chapter series on opiates all the way back into the Sumerian times up through the first American epidemic in the 1890s and our current epidemic and how we perpetrated this thing and what mistakes we're making now, which is the same mistakes we've always made. We're doing it again. Because I, I don't know how I stumbled upon this, but it, oh, it was probably in some sort of like a... Uh, today I learned on Reddit that, uh, you know, in the early 1900s, heroin was prescribed to children as a, a cough. cough medicine. Yeah, sure. Bear. Yeah. Bear. <laughs> yeah. But, and it's but, just like the little bottle that just says heroin in the fancy yeah, old-timey yeah. font. It was good cough syrup. And, and <laughs> No, you're laughing because you think of it as a bad molecule, but the whole idea of bad molecules to me is just ridiculous. Sure. It's just ridiculous. Fentanyl is a bad molecule, and yet we use tons of it all the time clinically. Right. You know, LSD bad molecule except it may have some real utility someday for somebody sure so all this stuff is you know to me is just it's all chemistry it's all just chemistry and there's no good and bad chemistry right it's just it's just the application or the yeah and the biology our genetics and our relationship with it and what it does pharmacologically to us and that kind of stuff um but let me just finish on the opium series i then turned it into an audio book and with that with each chapter i have interviews with like world-class historians or you know people who have written for years about the history of opiates or the big epidemic in the 1890s and or the people that developed methadone i've these interviews all throughout the this audiobook so it's really good oh that sounds really great good. yeah it's good i mean and it is it the kind of thing where we haven't learned anything <laughs> we have we we plus our chance right it, we're making the same mistakes all over again right we're back in 1890 
We were treating alcoholism with morphine because it made the uh, alcoholics less noxious. Sure. We were treating morphine addiction with uh, heroin, mm-hmm. treating cocaine addiction with heroin, heroin addiction with cocaine. So they were aware of addiction back then, and it wasn't just... Because uh, I just assumed like back then people just didn't really talk about these things, but maybe they... I know there were opium dens. And, yeah, you know. they knew what an addict was then. And and there was, I, I remember I used to read to my, I used to give lectures to alcoholic groups every week. And uh, there was an 1899 article. You know, JAMA had this thing 100 years ago today. And in 1999, they published this thing that described the disease of alcoholism. So wow. we think now maybe this thing is a disease. 1899. Wow. It's like, well, there you go. Yeah, and it and have they did they they did did they recognize it as a um a, a physiological affliction or did they think it was a mental affliction or genetic they biological thought it, they thought it was genetic biological with social and spiritual and whatever but clearly a, they were describing it as a genetic biological disorder and do we still believe that or yeah we still so it's not a belief it's not a it's not a medicine has nothing to do with beliefs it's all about. What are the facts? It's about facts and truth seeking, but but as we discover more things, more right. truths become so revealed. Science, I mean, is, science is all about disproving. That's I mean, how what many fucking times you know do you see an article that's like, eat carrots, they're good. Oh, it well, turns out carrots are bad for yeah, you. No, eat carrots again. You can't say much of anything about nutrition. We, yeah. it's a vastly complex. If you want to hear about nutrition, read Kate Shanahan stuff. That she can. She's a biochemist. She's a physician. She can. The areas where things can be said, she says it. Everything else is bullshit. Mm-hmm. Everything else. You, it's too complicated. Right. We just can't say much yet. And and by the way, <laughs> genetically, we're all different. You know, it's, it's just very complicated stuff. But but back to the uh, disease model, right? So everyone has all kinds of opinions about diseases, not a diseases. And where I start that conversation is first, how do you define disease? Like you can't know whether what this pen is until you define what a pen is, mm-hmm. right? So we let's come up with a definition for disease. Ready? Yep. You got one? Oh, do I have one? I'm just asking. Um, uh, molecular yuckies? Yeah, well, yeah, that's a piece of it. That's good. <laughs> I, like, I, like the, I like the colloquial framing. So it's a complex relationship between the genetics of the individual and the environment. So mm-hmm. gene, always gene-environment interaction yep. that results in an abnormal physiology. Mm-hmm. We call that pathophysiology. That pathophysiology is expressed through signs and symptoms. So guys like me can see the signs and symptoms and determine that the pathophysiology is there. Those signs and symptoms will follow a predictable pattern. We call that a natural history. And guys like me also try to change that natural history in a positive way. Mm -hmm. We call that treatment. So it's gene-environment interaction, abnormal biochemistry, signs and symptoms, predictable natural history, predictable response to treatment. That's it. That's disease. All disease. Every disease. And All disease. Where does mutation in figure in? Like we're pathophysiology, genetic pathophysiology. pathophysiology, and mutation. You know, yes. If you have Tay Sachs or something, you at least have to. Li- the environment has a role in the sense that you have to live long enough to that genetic mutation to develop. There's always some input from the environment, more or less. It could be a lot of gene or a lot of environment, but there's always some of both. I was really you, hoping that it would kick in around puberty and I would get Wolverine powers, but that did not happen. It, silk is a possibility. <laughs> oh my so, God, that's so still, great! Now I'm going to do that genetic you're, test you're, and be like. Where do I score for Wolverine? Your your beard and your nails a little long, I'm I'm noticing. (laughs) So I'm just saying. I heard a little, uh, that that little, that that sound of Mm -hmm. knives. Yep. I didn't know what that was. Yep. But but so that's disease. Uh, And then people go, oh, well, alcoholism is not a disease. Well, 
Does it fit in that model? Well, it's genetic, always. Is there an environmental component? Sure. Mm-hmm. The usual trauma or you know some sort of maybe an affective disturbance, access to alcohol. These are all environmental components with the gene. The pathophysiology is well worked out now in the brain. We know exactly where the brain is being affected and how it's being affected. And we certainly know the signs and symptoms. We certainly know the natural history of alcoholism and how it's likely to go. And we know the, how to treat it. Mm-hmm. And we know how to improve the, the natural history. The only viable consideration uh, that, the, that could call that model into question is whether is alcohol is less of a disease and more of a syndrome. Okay. Like hypertension is a syndrome, right? It's high blood pressure, multiple causes. Right. So hypertension is not really a diagnosis. Essential hypertension is a diagnosis. Neuro, you know, uh, renal vascular hypertension is a diagnosis. But high blood pressure is just a finding, right? So hypertension is just a syndrome caused by many different things. Okay. And so okay. alcoholism could be a syndrome caused by many different factors. Right. Exactly. And so, but still, the, the biology is so common it's so we know exactly what's going on right in terms of the activation the binge reward the dysphoria when you come out it's just all worked out now so it's hard to deny it but it but but there is you know but you you do know like when you're in recovery like oh the drinking the drinking was a symptom like that that's a sort of an accidental expression of what the addictive mind will do sometimes yeah. it's yeah. you know sometimes it's drugs or sometimes alcohol sometimes it's sex addiction sometimes yeah, it's, it's symptomatology so yeah. um I'm curious to know because I sort of have this idea that you know people have such unhealthy relationships with their devices and with social media now. Really bad right that, now. That I, I I do wonder like in 50 years are they going to look back and go Jesus Christ like the way that we looked back at when people worked with asbestos in their house. Yes, you know and go I, I think what so. were they doing? I, I think so. And let me tell you the evidence for that, which is that teen and particularly young female suicide is skyrocketing right now. Oh Jesus, skyrocketing. Young people are unhappy. And it seems to be, we don't know yet, but it seems to be a combination of helicopter parenting, not getting them out of the house, you know, not letting them go to where just get out of here, go scram, play in the yard, and then the screens. And and I have a feeling, my sense is, and again, no data yet for this, but my sense is A, screens make you compare yourself to other people all the time the recipe for unhappiness for human beings. Mm-hmm. There's all this data on happiness that shows humans are very, very happy until they see somebody else that has more or looks better. Then we get unhappy. Right. Freaking Instagram is... And, and by the way, all the teens report Instagram is the most onerous part. So Instagram is a, mo- a perfect place for comparing, right? Sure, because it's, so, a, it's a very... Instagram is a very... I mean, uh, each social media platform has its own performative yeah. qualities to yeah. it. But Instagram is, of course, very visual. Like, look at my idealized Look at everything. my... Just look at my... Look at my... <laughs> yeah. And yeah. then... And what have I? What about mine? And that's a recipe for unhappiness. So there's that, and then there's the usual, you know, the, being an adolescent and not understanding your identity and what's going on, and then having that rain down on sure. you. Then I think there's another piece, uh, which is I think the boys are into their video games and their pornography, and are sort of lost in all that, and are not unhappy in it. <laughs> let's put it that way, but they're sort of lost in it, and they're disconnected from development and they mm-hmm. certainly aren't dating. Right. They certainly aren't forming and breaking relationships. They develop no skill with that during adolescence. And I think the young females, I think you, you help us with this. We have a female in the room here. I, I think females are really 
reliant on social connection for their happiness. Now, all humans are, but I think the female, particularly adolescent or adult, is exquisitely sensitive to that. And because everyone's in their screens, they've shown that young girls, like adolescent girls, are not visiting each other's houses the way they used. They don't go visit each other. They just go back to the screen and lock themselves in the room. I think that is adding to the depression, and that's creating the suicide. Well, and it is. It's just this this uh, self sustaining machine because we, you know, we as humans have needs to connect, needs for community, but, but needs I, to belong. Hundred percent. But, but, it, but it's a fake. But it's oh, kind that's, of that's like, zero. That's disconnect. I'm yeah. pointing at the phone. Yeah, yeah. that's yeah. It, it's a it's not it's not only a fake connect. It's no connect. And it's then, disconnect. And then, and then you add on top of that that uh, that people can get shit on and bullied and trolled right. and made to feel inferior right. and on top of everything on top else of, yeah. uh, you know of That's everything right. else and it feels like it's you know this thing that should have been so great and so powerful and so connective is isolating and also um plays to the to the worst and not not only to the worst um tendencies that people have mm-hmm. but also the worst insecurities that, that, that people have and i don't know i mean i don't want to sound like an old man here but 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 i don't really know what the, the what the solution is but that sort of that addiction to hearts and likes and engagement and oh yeah. you know yeah. it's it feels like it's just wired directly into this back door into our brain that makes people not think as logically as they yep. should that's absolutely true and, and, and so are our brains being rewired and can it be unlearned or is it, you know, like how much, how much is this going to affect, how much do you think this will affect people going forward and, and will it end? Well, it has to end because it is so problematic, right? It, it's really, really rough right now. Uh, how it ends and where, I, so, so I, I think it ends by parents learning to restrict access to these things. And that's going to have to happen. So, so this negative impact on the developing brain and on young adolescents and young adults, we, we can interrupt that pretty easily with parenting, right? The part that concerns me is the part that adults are subjected to, which is a whole other spiritual bankruptcy, which is the behavior of the mobs and the bullying and all that stuff you mentioned. Yeah, That's what the adults get. And, and it has a different impact on us. It just ruins our lives it just makes us feel terrible yeah i mean it's it's it it really um I, I don't know it's 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 really concerning because it i don't think most people would think of it as an addiction because it's a digital like it's just, it's 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 still so new in in when you look at the timeline of humanity it's yeah, you know we're just learning what it is and, it's and, infinitesimal and yeah. we just we were doing it before we even and listen i'm not Completely shitting on it. I do it. You know, like I go. No, I do it too. And, and and I let my kids. Well, I guess my kids really didn't have it. We kind of lucked out. Pre nineteen ninety five, you didn't really have to deal with it the way you do now. Born pre yeah. post nineteen ninety five rather. Um, but I, I I I you can't not do it. It's not something that it, the the horses. You know, the genie's out of the bottle. We all got to do it. But there's got to be some humanity brought back into it somehow. I don't know what the answer is. I, I know I see the parenting side. That's that's sort of a clearer thing. On our side, I mean, I, I liken it on adult side. I liken it to what the uh, European cities did in response to the mobs that used to form in the medieval times. They just made the city squares smaller so people couldn't <laughs> congregate. So if you know, some of the squares are pretty small, well, and that's why they did that. I don't know. I, I you know, again, I don't have kids, so I, I apologize for speaking out of turn on this. But you know, is there a way to instill young people? Uh, and and I know that there are some things that you know 
the best parents in the world can are still going to have problems sure, with their kids. Sure, of course. But is but you know how do we instill confidence in our kids and in other people and let them know like hey you're enough you don't need how do you how do you make them feel like well, regardless of however many hearts they get on a right, post that right. they're still yes. that they're good enough yeah th- that is a that is a general function of good mental health you're asking about which is <laughs> right which is about having enough time in an intimate frame with a primary caretaker sure that's really what that is yeah our, our brains need that to grow and develop we, we have not emphasized that 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 in order like the re, one of the reasons that people do drugs and alcohol we, we, you referred to it a little bit earlier which is you're unregulated you're, you don't feel good. You can't. Your two neg- feelings are too prolonged, too intense, too negative. You're you're looking for a solution to feel better, right? Mm-hmm. And why do you need to feel better? What, what's <laughs> happening? It's and it's not usually depression. Uh, depression people go get on antidepressants and they do things like that, or they withdraw and get through it, or whatever. But unregulated emotion is a whole different phenomenon. So feelings are sort of that you're not comfortable in your own skin. Is sort right. of a way of thinking about it. And that's dysregulation. That's called dysregulation. And it turns out the the process of our brains building the emotional machinery for regulation is worked out. We know how to do it. We know how it's done. And it's done in what we call intersubjective exchange. It's, it's done in a setting of close proximity of two bodies in space, mm-hmm. in space, not on screens, mm-hmm. where one body's having an experience the other body attunes to it deeply and just responds, offers something metabolized back, even soothing maybe, or if it's joy, amplification. I mean, I would imagine that uh, I would imagine that from an evolutionary standpoint, it would have been necessary for humans to develop that to form communities and to want to build societies yeah. and civilizations that they that we do have an innate need to be around each other. Oh, yeah. In, yeah, we we're, we're screwed without each other in, we're, we're in the world. But yeah. do you is is there a is there a rise now? Because knowing nothing about anything, mm. I would probably venture to guess um, that in the last twenty years, maybe ten years, twenty years, that there is a particular rise in that sort of cluster B malignant narcissism scale, 100%. which includes. Narcissist personality disorder, borderline personality yep. disorder, sociopathy, yep. Yep. Um, antisocial. Yep. You know, like is it? it, 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 it I watched it, it happen, and that, and so, so it's not just that we're more aware of it now. Do you feel like it really is? More Here's prevalent? my evidence. Here's my evidence. And, and again, people debate whether it's really happening or not, or are we just calling it this or whatever. Right. But but here's what I saw. Uh, when I started, you know, I worked in a psychiatric hospital for about 35 years, and when I got there in 1985. There, you, every patient would get a form with their diagno- diagnoses on it. Mm-hmm. And there's something that used to be called Axis 1, which is like depression or bipolar or whatever. Axis 2 is where the diagnoses go, which is what you – excuse me, the personalities go, which mm-hmm. is what you were just talking about. And I would walk around the hospital. I would see all the medical patients, and I'd see everybody. And I'd look at their diagnoses, and the, the personalities were all over the place. I saw obsessive-compulsive disorder personalities, I, you know, paranoid personalities – dependent personalities, all the cluster C's that you never see anymore. It was all over the place. It was all over the place. And all of a sudden, I noticed it started just more commonly being the cluster B's, the cluster B's, and started the cluster C's I didn't see so much anymore. And then only cluster B, mm-hmm. only. What's in the C? What's cluster C? Uh, dependent. I, I can't remember them all anymore. Because there's just not, yeah. This, yeah, there's ABC, you know, and, and, and this was, the other ones just vanished. And, and, I'm, and I'm telling you, 
that those kinds of psychiatric cases that had those disorders, we were not seeing them. They were not coming in the door. Wow. It wasn't that the doctors were dis- dis- diagnosing them differently. I, I, could, I saw them. This was all cluster B. Right. Everybody. And I thought, wow, that's meaningful. Now, I think what did that was all the trauma that we, the childhood, adverse childhood experiences, we now call that, or childhood trauma. I think we had much more of a pandemic of that than we realized. And that changed the personality structure. I think that's it. And now that we're all that way, and now we've all nar- been done our narcissistic parenting, which is the next layer of doing this to kids. We, we first get injured narcissistically with trauma. We become narcissists, and then we do narcissistic parenting to create some more narcissists. Right. Well done. And, and, um, and now we've got mobs and envy and tribalism, and that's all the liability of narcissism. But also, do you think that because uh – Algorithms are giving are, are are basically creating these um, hyper curated worlds where we sort of feel yeah. like our opinion yeah. is, you know, because when you open your device and it gives you all the stuff you already like, I don't know if people necessarily think like, oh, this was hyper curated for me. I think they think, oh, what I'm seeing, like I, the world is a reflection of exactly what I think. Right. That probably doesn't horrible help. <laughs> Horrible. <laughs> and Amazon can tell you, you know, it's like we can get anything we want at all. The, I mean, we basically we live like spoiled pharaohs in a lot of ways, where we can get anything to can be any other point in time. You know, it's like there, there is. I, I haven't figured out yet. There's something to that. There's something about that. I'm not sure. We we, we have like too much. Well, right? I think it's you know, like I I I, I think it, it it we're in danger of all becoming like. King Joffrey, you know, where it's... Yeah, King Baby, we call that. Yeah, 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 which is the, basically, um, you know, that uh, if, if, if power corrupts, then we have absolute power now because we can summon anything we want thing, yeah. and because of that thing yeah. and because we can, we can get into a confirmation bias loop about anything that uh-huh. we believe. We can affect uh-huh. anything we want, you know. And, and, and you add to that... We've not been well educated for the last twenty or thirty years. We've not been carefully, you know, analytic thinking is sort of out the window. Yeah, and so we don't we don't have good objective logical frames that we can automatically call upon to evaluate ourselves. We can't step back and go, let's think this through. Right, we're not accustomed to that. We don't have the discipline for that. Well, you know, like when when people are posting on social media, what tends to get more engagement? A well thought out statement or like an emotional, yep. high stakes, super extreme point of view? I mean, I know that's not always the case, but uh, yeah, but <laughs> pretty much. But the algorithms again, the algorithms. Um, the algorithms. The algorithms. The algorithms prioritize that. <laughs> you see Chris running outside. The algorithms. Ah! <laughs> the algorithms freak me out because it's like they prioritize that, you know, yeah. and then people see that and they don't necessarily realize, like, oh, this is an algorithm prioritizing the, the like this sort of upvote culture. And again, I, I really, you know, I'm careful. I don't want. I, I feel like I should on social media a lot, and I don't mean to. I I, I do. Oh, let's do it. I do I, believe I it to. have uses. It has Why it has not? good I uses. I mean to. I know, but I don't want to sound negative all the time. But but I just it's just something that I I hope people are aware of because if you just look at social media, you might think this is the full scope of the world, and that's oh dangerous God. because it, it it isn't. There's more. There's more. It's not even close. No. <laughs> it's nothing. <laughs> and I just don't want I just don't want people to you know like. Because if people do have generalized anxiety or generalized depression and feel that sort of disconnect and feel the discomfort in their own skin, they might not be realizing that 
this sort of passive engagement is is stoking a lot of that. Not only that, but the stuff that you're seeing fly by is not the average person's feeling and it's not important. And so what's important, again, is going out, getting some fresh air, listening to some music, spending time in closeness with people that actually care about you, expressing yeah. how you're feeling. And all that stuff melts away in a second right? when you really get back into human engagement. Right. I mean, it is... You know, it is that sort of uh, convenience is a you know convenience is the road to decline kind of thing. It's like I when guess. everything's so convenient, it's like ah, we don't need to leave our house. Ah, Netflix, we got Netflix. Ah, I can just text my friends. I don't have to go see. Oh, we were gonna meet them, but I just don't feel like you know. Yeah, uh, we'll just have everything delivered here. Mm -hmm. You know, we won't get out of bed. I we do it constantly, and uh, you know, like that. It's sort nice of here though. I want to stay here. I'm not leaving. <laughs> <laughs> Although that badger freaks me out a little bit. That's a Wolverine. Wolverine, I yeah. mean, or whatever. Yeah, that's a little Wolverine. Uh, it's a little vintage taxidermy Wolverine that we have uh, in our beautiful. house. Yeah, our house is basically just a, like a, a creepy old museum, which we yeah. love. Yeah, we absolutely I love. Dig it. I love any, anything with a story. I just love like all the furniture is antique. It's like this this table had a story. People sat here before us. You know, we're. We're basically just curating these things through time, and then they'll get passed on to someone else, and then they'll get to... But the point well taken is that it's the human experience that, that you're interested in. Absolutely. It? Yeah, it's not the furniture, although it's pretty nice. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's and, and, are, and are we kidding ourselves that we can achieve human experiences through um, uh, in-human, in through non-human uh, um, platforms? No, you can't. You're not going to. It's not... Bodies in space. Robots can't love you. <laughs> yeah. The, I, I, I believe that we're going to have sort of a – like we had a decade of the brain. We're going to have a decade of the autonomic nervous system or of the body or something. Sure. Because our, our body – we got multiple brains essentially distributed through our body. Mm -hmm. These you know, nervous webs of parasympathetic and sympathetic material, we have no idea what, how they work. Some people call them chakras, things right. like that. And but they're clearly important, especially the one over your chest. I mean, but that 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 is where I suspect most of our you know, we have gut and we have heart, feelings. Mm -hmm. That's where feelings come from, is right. our body. And feelings are important. Mm -hmm. And and connection with feelings is enhanced by connection with other humans. Especially because in communication, the words you use are a small part of communication. It, it, communication it's, it's is body language. It's probably spectacularly small. <laughs> probably small, way more small than we have. So any if you're just texting most, someone, you that's know. right. Most of the interaction that we are, we're just unaware of it. Right. We, it's just two bodies in space relating, attuning. Probably you could watch our blood pressures and pulses and pupillary hippus kind of time, start to time together when we get really attuned. Yeah. And start connecting, and that's. Magic. Well, How the fuck does that happen? <laughs> I'm, I become. I'm, I'm suddenly. I'm suddenly shaggy from. Fuck, a, dude. No, I'm suddenly insane. Insane clown posse. Magnets. How does that work? Fucking magnets. I think it's funny. It's like we have the parasympathetic and the sympathetic <laughs> and the feelings, and we have these line up, and then how does that fucking work? <laughs> like I think that's that's great, but it. But it's, it's the, you know the you, I, I see the phenomenon all the time where. You know, like everyone's had the experience where you you shoot someone a text and they write back like two or three words response, and then all of a sudden you build a story in your head based on oh, yeah. you know it's my own book. baggage, whatever it is about what exactly was going on, and then you find out. Well, but you and I, you and I are we're similarly constructed that way. You know what I mean? I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, I'm not sure everybody does that. Really. 
I, it's maybe a, maybe anxious, overthinkers sensitive too. overthinkers like yeah you and people I who are sensitive because yeah. and then and then you find out like, a lot, as you point out a lot of people are close to me don't give a shit someone's like yeah. oh I just I was in line for something and I just wasn't and you're like oh my god I built this whole thing where I that's thought me. you were that's, upset that's because me. I said this and that's then you me. said that that's yeah. codependency dude that's codependency ah oh, fuck no you're right yeah you're right but but I I I got you but I do think a lot of people well maybe there's a lot of people in this business you know like there's a lot of. Uh, well, there's a lot of stakes, so therefore people are me- uh, jumpy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and also particularly um, sensitive, uh, yeah. Vu- yeah. vulnerable, oh, yeah. sensitive, yeah, 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 and yeah. you know, yes. especially you know that that part of the codependency. It's like I just want everyone to be happy. I just want everyone to be happy. <laughs> Can't everyone just be happy? Can you guys please just stop yelling at each other? You know what I'm super grateful for is that that you know working in radio and television a bit and having enjoying it and grateful that I get to do it and hopefully making a difference doing it. But I'm so glad I had another job before I, before I ever doing that. It just is a nice perspective, I must tell you. What else are you grateful for? Let's instead of I'm shitting on things, let's talk about let's talk about the things we're grateful Gratitude for. Gratitude is very important, right? You, it's impossible. You can't live without it. I mean, you can, but it's not a very well. I, I tell you, when when I'm with people and they begin speaking about gratitude, I know I'm around somebody who's doing okay. Yeah, because because gratitude is an extremely important feeling, and it's one that you tend to have when. You're doing what you want to do, and your things are right. You may not be doing exactly what you want to do, but at least you're you can understand, you can have perspective sufficiently to be grateful for what you got. Well, I, I'm grateful for so much. Oh my god, oh my god. I I, I prattle on about this quite a lot, but I, I, I as I, I, I do find that as I get older, this idea that you have when you're younger of like, if I get to a place that it's the if then, if I get this thing, then I'll be happy, if I accomplish this, then I will be happy. And at a certain point, you're like, you know. We're not alive forever. It's that sort of stoic idea of memento mori, of just sort of like remembering your mortality. And like, this is life. Like, you have to enjoy it. You should interview Ryan Holiday on this podcast. I had him on. Okay. And he was phenomenal. Like, I fell in love with his... uh, Do you know how he got into stoicism? Through you. (laughs) Isn't that weird? Yes. So weird. That's right. Yes. He came up to you at a lecture when he was like in college. And I was reading Epic. He goes, what are you reading? I go, "Eh, this guy, I'm trying to figure out Epictetus. And he he went to it and he just... Never look back. Yeah, I don't really like Epictetus, by the way. Just, <laughs> oh, you don't? I'm not a super fan of. I, uh, so, but anyway, it helped Brian. Was it written some great books? Is it? Uh, and so, what? What was sort of? What was your journey with Stoicism? Uh, mine is it's just part of philosophy. I've been really somewhere around 15 years ago when, when the availability of lectures online and all that kind of stuff came up. I, I noticed some weaknesses in my education in terms of history and philosophy, and I just started really focusing on getting an understanding of it. And I started reading in a lot of history, a lot of philosophy, rather. And at that point, I was reading Stoic philosophy, and I, I'm very steeped in Aristotelian philosophy, but I've gotten off into all kinds of other weird stuff. There's a, there's a podcast called Partially Examined Life. You ever mm-hmm. seen this? I one? haven't ever looked at it. It's great. Like, I've, I've been a guest in there a couple of times, and so is Ryan. And it's just it's that's really now where I geek out on my philosophy stuff. Well, it is. I mean, when you think about like you know each day, this is what I have to make out of this day. Well, and how it, do it's, I... I tell you what got me into it. It's that what got me into it. I, I would describe it as the limits of medicine. There, there's many times when I can't do anything for a patient. And I have to adopt some sort of philosophy, some philosophical approach to the care of the patient, even though I know I can't make them well. Mm-hmm. And that was a very, that was the zone I started sort of looking at philosophy from. Like, what, what, 
and, and, and Seneca said it this way. He said, you know, man should live as long as he should, not as long as he can. <laughs> and, and, and that's kind of what I was feeling with patients where I could keep them alive forever in these suspended states and misery. And I was like, which isn't really like, living. Like, what's the philosophy here? What are we doing here? I, I need to like have a frame to understand what I'm trying to do and see if I can get the patient or the family to adopt a similar frame. Now I'm really pretty good at that, uh, thankfully, because I've done a lot of thinking about philosophy. And so I, I, I understand the difference between, like Seneca said, living as long as you can versus living a good life as long as you should. And I think the former, the latter, is much more important. And did that help you with your own cancer? Or, or, uh, or, or does, it, does it all like... No, that was, God damn it, why am I sick? <laughs> that was, <laughs> so, no, that was a little bit of a shock because I was like, really? I knew I'd get it by the time I was in my 70s. But 50? Come on! Uh, no, that I was in, that was more a, an issue of gratitude because if I got to get a cancer, I'll take that one any day. Uh, prostate cancer over so many other really bad ones. Right. Yeah. So I and, was grateful for that. I and then didn't getting, like it, but I was grateful for it. And then getting through that, did you, even as much as you've been around, you've been a third party to other, you know, yeah. for decades. Yeah, yeah. But did you feel, was it a transformative experience? For was you I a good patient? Were you a good patient? And did um, you feel, did you feel like you came out the other side stronger, better, so, more so appreciative? So this is, this is back to the Stoic philosophy, right? Um, no, it was shitty. Yeah. <laughs> so, but, 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 um, but I probably take a little better care of myself now. And I, I, I probably more grateful for some things. Yeah. So, so there was net net. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I just, you know, Drew's holding the microphones and if you could see the guns on either side this here. Is genetics. Oh, this come genetics. on. You have to, you must. I mean, I work out, of yes, course. Of course. But, but I mean, the reason I have big arms is really genetics more than my workout schedule. I mean, yeah. you know, Drew, you're in amazing shape. Thank and I you. feel like every year, every year that we can hang in there, like a whole group of dudes our age sort of falls off, falls off the wagon. You know what I mean? Yes, Where they're just yes. like, ah, fuck it. <laughs> but I'm just, and it's not that I think, you know, for me, it's just more about, I'm. I have this fear that of getting to like age seventy five, yeah, and just being all like twisted up. And it's like, oh, if you had just oh. stretched, if uh, you had just, it's not that simple. God damn I, it! You just. I, I think if you, you know, avoid alcohol and tobacco as much as you can. Done. I, I can yeah. avoid that a lot and, and uh, exercise reasonably well. Done. Like re- and then diet, reasonable diet. You pretty much optimize that kind of thing. Well, that's good. Yeah, and just keep it going, though. That's the other thing. Keep it going. Well, I had, I had high cholesterol. I found out I had high cholesterol mm-hmm. a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. Oh, you do? Mm-hmm. And I don't know if it's genetic, and I don't know if it's that I was drinking um, Starbucks chai lattes two or three times a day, which mm-hmm. it turns out sugar is very bad for your cholesterol. Sugar is bad for everything. Uh, I, I think sugar is way, sugar and starch way worse than fat. Yeah, uh, humbly. And is it is it because it's processed or is it just bad? No, it's just not. It's just we too much. Why do we fucking much. want it so bad? Be, because because when we had lived on the savanna and needed every damn calorie, it motivated us to grab these high caloric things that we would come upon once a week right. in the form of a fruit or something, and we would love it. Right. But now we can have Snickers every hour or <laughs> continuously, and, it, and we're not wired up for that genetically. Yeah, and again, I think some of it also goes to the rush of, you know, like when... I, I really, I really do believe that the root of a lot of our problems is this kind of like generalized anxiety and depression that we're constantly running from and trying to distract ourselves with. That is continuing, and you know, you know this from being an addiction specialist. But 
if you have anxiety and you self-medicate, you know, like you medicate with alcohol, uh, that makes you feel better in the short term. But in the long term, it creates more anxiety, yes. which makes you drink more, which creates more anxiety, oh. which makes you drink more. And right. so it's the same kind of thing with we're constantly we have this generalized anxiety and depression. We're constantly trying to distract, constantly trying to distract. But that, that's you're now back to my theme of dysregulation. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So, so there's a way to regulate. And what is that way? Like, what can sit and be of service and pay homage to other human beings and lead a good, lead a good life? Yeah, right. Which, however you conceive of that, I, I have my own ideas. And and it, you know, by good it means having a skill, having some wisdom, offering it to other people, mm-hmm. being um, genuine in what it is in that person that you're offering to. Mm-hmm. That's a really tough one. That's a that that's a kind of an art form, and um, and just be in intimate contact with other humans, and you know, and if you have a dysregulation that's that's above and beyond, then get therapy for somebody who knows how to sit there and wire you back up again. <laughs> I did it for eleven fucking years. Like you uh, took therapy, or you? Yeah, I was in therapy for ye- over a decade. Wow. Yeah, I had I had a little kind of alexithymia. I was like, tun- was had difficulty finding emotions and t- tuning to them, and um, I was a lot of anxiety. Ooh wee, whoo. And uh, workaholism, severe. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I went to therapy and it was changed my life and changed my instrument so I could be of service to other people. Well, that's good. I yeah. mean, it, it's, it, I think it's helpful. I hope it's helpful for people to hear, like, even someone who is an expert in, in these fields still had to have the presence of mind to say, like, oh, wait, maybe I'm yeah. not well, yeah. the best no, I, I was, can be. I was at that stage, that was probably 20 years ago when I started therapy, uh... I was just beginning to, eh, what, what, was it 20 or my kids were like, yeah, it was 24 or five years ago. Uh, and so I was saying, I didn't think I'd really start a full bore in the addiction medicine stuff yet. I was just really getting into it. Mm-hmm. And I was aware that I was codependent. I was aware I was getting like cleaned up by certain certain kinds of personality styles and certain drug addicts. And I couldn't seem to hold the, the, the boundary. I couldn't hold it. And I figured, well, that's not right. <laughs> I, should, I should be able to prove that. And I had anxiety and workaholism and stuff. And uh, it was actually my one of our sons needed brain surgery when he was one. Oh, my God. And I started having overwhelming anxiety, like crazy stuff. And my wife called me one day. I was at work at the hospital. And she goes, uh, you need to see a therapist. I go, I go, yeah, I know. I, I really want to. I'm going to. And she goes, you need to see someone. And I was like, it like, like I got a chill down my spine. I went, mm-hmm. eh, I hear you. I hear you. And I immediately called and, and got a recommendation. What is the, <laughs> it, it, is there, it's, is anxiety a byproduct of, of basically just survival instinct? Is it just lizard brain it, stuff? It, it, it is does lizard it brain serve stuff. A, I know like it's, you know, like I know there's the gift of fear, you know, it's like, yeah. it's good to, but why is it so anxiety is out of control? spun fear, right? It has, does not have an object to it necessarily. But it'll it find be. an object and it'll find an object and there may be a thought or some concern there's no in a sense that it's designed to keep us from that badger over there that's right. what it's designed for um, but we have we have essentially three systems in our brain in our I'm gonna now I'm gonna put this thing and make it work this this stand the I'm microphone, the microphone the, stand. he's been gripping the stand for too long now, now maybe doing serious. pulses with the biceps there at the go. same time there we go, there we, go. So, um, we essentially have we, we we kind of drop through three systems when we are threatened one is fight or flight right mm-hmm. uh, and we drop from that into freeze 
And the freeze response is associated with dissociation, where literally our brain floods with endorphins and cortisol, and we it's that feeling out of body or mm-hmm. in a dream state. That is a not a good state for a young brain to be in, mm-hmm. particularly repeatedly. It, it has all kinds of developmental problems associated with it. But it's it's that dissociation, I think, is always right behind the anxiety. I think it, it, I think it's people that have a lot of anxiety sometimes have some kind of dissociation from some part of their feeling landscape. I know I sure did. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so the anxiety just flows along, and it's not quite sure what it's anxious about because it's just kind of disconnected from everything. It's called, it's, some people call it lexithymia. And then on top of that, we have perfectionism, and we have high stress, and we have little sleep, and we have a lot of caffeine. And we're, you, know, right. you add all this stuff on top of it, and the anxiety is spiraling, man. And then some people, when they're depressed, part of the biology of the depression causes anxiety. And some people, we don't know why this is true, the anxiety triggers depression. Right. You know, I, I'm the I'm in the depression triggers anxiety camp. When I was in college, I had severe anxiety. I didn't even realize I was depressed. I was depressed, and then I started having panic attacks on top of that. I mean, disabling panic attacks. You ever had panic attack? Oh yeah, they are fucking horrible. Yeah, I got my first one in college. And, yeah, and that's the typical was, age they come. And on. it was in a pre. Yeah. A sort of pre-internet era, yeah. so I didn't know what it was, yeah. and I thought I was having a seizure, having dying, a seizure, having attack, I was having yeah. a heart attack, losing I could, my mind, losing your mind because yeah. you can't. All the thoughts, You're like, yeah. what's going on? And then after, like, you know, after a few months, I was af- I was afraid to leave my apartment because I didn't want to yeah. be out okay, in the so, world so, and have it happen. Yeah. So and then a friend of mine is, just said, "Oh, that's a panic attack." I'm yeah. like, "What?" And he goes, "Yeah, yeah, yeah," and that helped. Yeah, it helps to know what it is. Uh, I knew it was something psychiatric because I so I went immediately to the mental health thing, um, but but. Uh, it kind of goes from panic to generalized anxiety to agoraphobia, mm-hmm. and that's kind of what was happening to you. Yeah, you were like you were like too freaked out to go outside. Yes, because I didn't want to be. I didn't want to. That's get, your thought. That's get the, the somewhere... thought is I don't want to get a panic attack, but the reality right. is I don't want to go outside. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> so yeah it might have been. But but as, soon, but as soon as he told me that, and you know, like anxiety is is the insidious spiral for anxiety is 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 a breadcrumb trail of what ifs. What if this happens? What if this happens? What if this happens? And the stakes get bigger and bigger it, it, and bigger. It, it does. And, I, I think my sense of it is, in most cases, oh, and you tell me if this is you or not, is, and this is true of the brain generally. We have all these effed up feelings, mm-hmm. and then our frontal lobe tries to make sense of it. Oh, yeah. it's because I'm anxious. It's because I'm worried about this. You, you, sort, of, you sort of attach something to mm-hmm. it. And then that amplifies it, and yeah. then it starts chasing Yeah, it. it's almost like yeah. your brain is scanning. Yeah. It's almost like... Like SETI, you know, the search. Yeah. It's like it's scanning the deep space of your mind. Yeah. And then it, you know, then it's, ah, I can freak out about that. And then your brain, and then it expresses itself. But I, but a lot of it, I think, is also overstimulation. Yeah, it, sure. Which, you know, <clears throat> is probably helps explain why something like conspiracy theory is on the rise so much. It's like there's just too much information. People's brains there's, there's too much inf- have so to sort all of that disparate right. information and create these insane you know, stories that are mostly not true. Right. So it's sort of three things. Lack of actual knowledge in the area. Mm-hmm. So inability to have judgment about it or evaluate it. That's a Dunning-Kruger to, to, study. Dunning-Kruger. I, I think – so tell them what Dunning-Kruger is. I love Dunning-Kruger. Uh, basically, it just it, – the, it's, the, it's, the, the long and short of it is what's like – What's the guy from American Idol that was so horrible, that Asian guy? Oh, uh, William Hung. That's, that's Dunning-Kruger. Yeah. That's a perfect example of Dunning-Kruger. It's, it lets you stand up and perform yeah. and think you sounded great and you were horrible. Well, yeah. That's Dunning-Kruger. It, it's, it's basically – people who tend to know less will claim to know more and people who know more will tend to claim to know that's less. It. And it, basically the less you know – 
it's almost like you're too ignorant in a topic to know how ignorant you are. Exactly. So, and, and then and then when you know a lot, you start to feel like an imposter. Right. You start to feel like it's too. There's just so much to know. No one knows it all. It's too, yeah. Too so and you, and you see a lot of this on message boards yeah. or like on Reddit or something where someone will just post a very detailed. Well, this is why this is, it. and then someone else will go, Yeah, I work in this field, and none of that is true. Right. And it, but the, because of the cognitive, what are they, the cognitive distortions, they'll still find a way to justify their thoughts. Yes. Even when the, somebody. Who who's got judgment and expanded knowledge in the area goes, here's why that's not true. Oh, they'll come up with yeah. some way of And it's sort it. of the difference between, you know, if something happens to you in the world and then you react however you're going to react versus having a reaction and figuring out how to distort the world to, 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 to sit your world to, fit, to, yeah. to suit your right. feelings or yes. your worldview to you, justify. Well, okay, so that's the second thing, which is intuitive thinking. When people think from a feeling state rather than a logical state. And they know. They're like, I know this. Yeah. I, but that's not true, though. Yeah, I know yeah, I can't I, trust the government. Yeah. I can't trust those guys. Yeah. So, of course. And then it feels right intuitively. It's, to, it's, the only, it's the only answer you can come up with. So it must be a thousand percent right. right. So it's, it's the Dunning-Kruger. It's intuitive thinking. It's lack of proper education, so people can be analytical, and then it's the massive volume of information that just floods through. And yeah. I, I've always tried to figure out, well, how would I make a flat earther come on over to the, you know, to reality? I don't know. I mean, there's just no... Well, there's something also comes kind of the backfire effect, too, which you can convince somebody on a narrow topic by really, really nailing them down on the facts, and then they'll backfire and double down in the other areas sure. of the same topic. Yeah, because the other thing that's very difficult is that I feel I'm sure that once you've once you've fused a belief system to your ego, it is most people are not really in the business of going, I was wrong, you know? So it's That's like the you, other thing. You, you fight That's you the, fight to keep now, it that intact. Well, now we're back to the cluster B personalities, aren't we? Right. And, and so this is a bad thing. This is a really <laughs> a bad thing. Because I, 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 had, I, had, I, had, I hit my um, – I was valuing – I, I know I like to be very, very, very logical in my thinking. I, I'm always like – I always stand back and look and evaluate – and I was having a discussion about those MAGA hats today on the radio. Mm-hmm. And I said, um, my partner was saying, well, listen, I think some people should have the right to wear whatever they want. It's the First Amendment. And if it offends people, it's too bad for them. And logically, they should be, you know, logically, they should be able to wear whatever they want. And uh, the history of this is not as severe as the history of some of these other things like swastikas and hoods. And it, you know, the, and I, the, let's say I'm at a dinner table and I don't mean anything by it except I want to recreate jobs in America. That's my – and she had all these rational reasons for it. And my response was, yeah, but it's hurting people. Mm-hmm. And I, I can't wear it then. Right. That, that's totally irrational. <laughs> that's totally codependent. It's totally intuitive. And I will not wear it. I, if, if somebody says and – no, and the other thing is I, I don't want to – be perceived as make America white again or racist or anything like right. that. I, and, and I understand people, some people can't overlook that. I can't. Uh, and, but I don't want to hurt other people. Right. That's intuitive. Right. That's not logical. But I would never do wear something that would hurt other people. It doesn't make sense to I, me. I, yeah. I agree with you. Yeah. I wouldn't want to. Yeah. You know, like if you... If, if, whatever it is, someone's like, "Oh, this thing you did really hurt this." You know, this thing you said. Oh my god! You, you're like, "Oh my god!" Yeah. How do I? I'm so sorry. I, I'm, you know? I think you're even a little worse than I am, but I'm very much that way. I'm very much 
like that that just bothers me. I I, I want to do good for people. Right. That's all I'm interested in doing. And when and when something I do goes bad, it's devastating. I it's, still it's think a, it's a good way to. I mean, I think it's a pretty good way to live because it means no, that. I, no, I do too. You, you I you know, can, I think a certain amount. I mean, maybe like a shade of codependency is good because it it gets, sort of keeps you checked in with other people and puts their feelings as a okay. Priority. So so back to my therapy. Yeah. Um. All that liability, that stuff, that sensitivity, and that being wiped up by the you know, people with borderline personality, things like that. Now, because I can hold a frame, I still have that same codependency and that same tendency to be sensitive, but I can use it. It's an asset. Mm-hmm. I'm exquisitely sensitive to what's going on with other people, but I'm not overtaken by it. Right. And, and I can differentiate my feelings from another person's, which I had trouble doing that for a long time. People would evoke stuff in me that I thought was theirs, but it was mine. Right. Yeah, that's a... That's a I, for, People that are healthy, that may not be such a – that may be a strange thing to say. But for people like <laughs> codependent, it's a very common thing. And and, um, and so now I, I value all that we're talking about. I really value it. And so I, I've, I take no – you know, I have no problem saying some codependency is good as long as you can manage it. Right, right, right. I mean the yeah. point where you're uh... – Essentially, sacrificing your light, you know, oh, you're like, overtaken. Whenever you're, you're overtaken, overtaken by other yeah. people's stuff, it's like, mm, you know, because that doesn't help anybody. Because then, then it doesn't make you it's a good. Ex- it's exactly you right. You can't if 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 someone else is having an experience and you absorb that experience, and now you're both having that experience, you're kind of selfishly taking their experience away, and you cannot be of benefit it's, to them. It's a classic example of bad parenting. Because parents will sometimes, you know, be so upset about what's happening to their child that th- all their stuff is activated. That is not what your child needs. Right. That is freaking your child out. Right. They need you to be calm and present, right. and containing, and give some soothing affects alongside of attunement. Right. You know. So what it you know is there a way for people to you know besides going out besides I- I- interacting with other human beings in the real world and making efforts you know sort of navigating the anxiety the depression the 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 cluster bees you know it's like how, how do we in when so much of that is essentially elevated and we're all opting into that with the phone <laughs> yeah and so how do you know like how do we find balance like what can is or what little thing can someone do once a day that cuz I, I i really do believe in this sort of cumulative idea of like you know you know if you feel like your life isn't where you want it, you can't change it overnight. Don't try to change it overnight. That's true. Make That's small. Good. I've never heard people articulate that. That's good advice. So start with that. Good. And then just little bits at a time, just make small changes that totally are cumulative. Because then over time, if you're consistent with those, that will open the door to other changes. Sometimes when people are depressed and I want to see if they need medicine or not, I'll just say, try it. Let's take some walks. Let's exercise. Let's some music. Listen, let's see what you can do. Right. Just pulling yourself on up out of this with these little changes. I agree. Right. So things like working out, listening to podcasts, listening to music, I totally support. Yeah. I think that's very healthy. And then the, the other part is a little dicier, you know, what you do and how you hang with other people. But I, I think it goes under the heading of time. Mm-hmm. Time with people that care about you and you care about. I think that's the fundamental sort of push. And, Spend and, and, time. And the fucked up part is that I'm sure there's people out there who are like, well, there isn't anyone in my immediate circle that I feel that way about, that I trust, that I can look up to. There always so I'm going to go on the internet. Oh, there always is. There's always somebody. The problem is, you know, it's it's not that easy to to reach out. You know, people are busy, and I get it, and that's the world we live in. But there's always somebody. We all have people that care about us. Everyone's busy, but we're not always doing stuff. It's like we're busy. There's busy work. You know, you're like, oh my god, I spent. 
three hours on Instagram the last guy? You know, it's no, like, that wasn't, don't do that. That's not, that's not going to It's a help. bad time. We noticed that the phones tell you how much time you spend on this oh, right yeah, now. Yeah, which yeah. Is yeah. A, which I, I think is a kind of a gift. It's a, well, it's a nice idea. I don't think any of us pay attention to it. I look at it. I mean, listen, you can't, you, you, you really need to get the data so that you can then try to manipulate yeah. it. You know, it's, so it's like, good oh, okay. if you're that kind of person for sure. Right. I'm not, sure, not I'm not sure everyone. I am. I'm not sure I am. So we were we were talking a little bit earlier about the gratitude. You said I've, I'm grateful gra- gra- oh, yeah. tons gratitude. of things. Yeah, so yeah. as we're sort of like winding this down, let's end this on a positive okay. note because I don't okay. want I don't want people to feel attacked. I don't want it's really concern for ju- just what what to me feels like a, that this general sense of uh, well, I think we were fairly prescriptive, right? So I think hope people can can hopefully cling on to some of that stuff. Yeah. Uh, uh, Gratitude, forgiveness, these are really important emotions. If they're um, being right-sized, all that, you know, simple, having a simple life. Every time I hear people about having polyamories, and all this kind of, I'm like, oh, boy. It's hard <laughs> enough to have one relationship, you guys. It's, it's infinitely more complex when you bring more people in, but whatever. Have at it. Um, so have a simple life, gratitude, forgiveness. Um and gratitude, you know, is is such a simple thing. It just it just takes a minute to take a beat and look around. And there's always stuff that you're grateful for, even if you're just had a good night's sleep. Yeah. Or you can really examine what you're eating, like be be conscious of what you're eating. It's like the way the, the Buddhists always say, you know, mm-hmm. like be in the moment and just be grateful for what you've got there. I'm grateful personally. I'm grateful for my kids. I'm grateful for my wife. I'm grateful that. We've been together all this time. I'm grateful that I'm healthy today and I can work out and sort of try to optimize my health. Uh, I'm grateful that I can make it. I'm grateful that I have a skill that can make a difference for other people. That that never gets old. Uh, when, when you, I, this is something that a lot of people miss. Um, when you, you know, you want to be of service to really be of service in a way that you you feel really good about. You, you got to have some experience and some skill in something. Uh, and that's a part that people often live, leave out. I, I know that I um, have lots of friends that have big careers and made a bunch of money, and they're like, well, now i got to go do something. I'm like, what are you, what are you, what are you talking about? <laughs> and and they really skip the part, well, if you want to be a nurse, you got to go train as a nurse, and right. you'll have that skill then, and you can go do all kinds of cool stuff. But you can't just – they don't want to hear from you anymore. <laughs> you, you, you raised your money and whatever, and maybe your money can do some good, but that isn't the same as that one-on-one service, you know, doing – Having a skill that changes the trajectory for another human, extremely grateful and for also, that. And also maybe try doing it and like don't really tell people about it. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, oh, yeah. I, and of course, it's good to raise awareness for causes, you know, if you have a, good, a big platform of social media. But, you know, at what point are you doing it because it's for the other person? At what point are you like, right. well, this is going to look really good on my feet? You okay, know? So, so I'm glad you brought that up. Uh, whenever I see people doing it publicly and big... I don't begrudge them that at all. I'm glad they're doing it because it's needed. Yeah. But I always think, oh, that's that's that. That's, that's, <laughs> that's maybe that's some that. maybe and, a percentage of it is. And and don't expect to get the same out of it of great, great gratitude, personal gratitude, right. personal fulfillment, as if you had just gone down and tied the shoes of some kids that or done something. Even then, if you'd had some skill, if you spent a couple of years developing a skill and then went and deployed it for one individual. That is way more powerful than millions of dollars for some cause. Don't, yeah. don't hold back Still on the cause. Good. Don't Still hold back. Good to do that. You do it, and but it's I and, a separate, and, but it's a different. It's a thing. different kind of thing. And, yeah. and in terms of gratitude, you'll feel great, much more gratitude from that one-on-one kind of thing. And and again, one-on-one where you have a skill to offer another person. Um, 
and then this crazy weird thing I've been on in media. Who I didn't know I was going to do that. <laughs> it's so weird, and it, I'm, and, but it's been so fun, and I'm so grateful to take my skill and have a way to sort of apply it in these creative ways. I, this is all a gigantic surprise. Sitting in Chris Hardwick's house talking. I mean, of course. Yeah, but I mean, I arrived. But, I, but <laughs> I mean, I, but, I, but all of it has been just, it's all still weird. And But, I, but I've been paying more attention to it the last couple of years going, okay, this, you're sort of in, getting towards the end here. Let's focus on it, see what you can do. So. Yeah, I, I got some interesting advice once about, and, and it has a lot to do with, I think this is applicable, but um, f- basically, you, and this might be codependency, mm-hmm. um, but I think a lot of people do this nowadays. It's that idea of uh, letting your emotions be infected, affected by uh, where your emotional core is, has an external locus versus an internal locus. So like events, the outside world, the external world determining your happiness as opposed – and this is also somewhat stoic, I would imagine. Yes. Versus the, the internal stuff. And someone said to me – I go, yeah, you know, I get – I get if something really good happens at work or something, you know, I feel really excited or I get really, you know, like charged or joyful. And they said, okay, great. Take that, internalize it, and separate the external thing that happened and just feel the joy. Well, that's interesting. Just feel the joy detached from the external thing. So that if you can get good at that, that's a pretty good skill. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's like that blew my mind because it. It is so easy. Like our world is so external now, and it's so on display at all times, and it's so overstimu- you know, so overstimulated that just that just those simple things of just being, being able to sit with yourself and just feel joy is a fucking skill set, you know. But you have to cultivate it. It doesn't, you know, unless you're just rewired. It doesn't just happen on I, you. I, I, I can't do it without other people. I have to have that. That's me. That's my thing. Yeah, I, I have to. All I I sort of experience myself through other people, like out in the person than than me. Right, and so I have to have that. That's sort of how I'm wired. It's weird. That's, I mean, it's, it, it's shocking that. I, mean, I wish I, I could do that. That just just own the contain the whatever feeling it was, and maybe I'll work at it. No, I just I have I have so much respect for people who can help other people and again it's that like the uh, I'm, I'm pointing like you knew that i recorded the podcast there but uh, <laughs> sitting right over there recorded the podcast you know with this homicide detective named joe kenda who's been on a couple times and uh. joe's amazing and you know he's solved all these murders in colorado springs and he's an incredible guy and was an incredible de- uh, homicide detective and still deeply affected by everything that he saw. Yeah. To, and he just, he said, you know, and he's just fine. I mean, he seems fine with it, but he has like a series of recurring nightmares. He has mm. to sleep in a separate room from his wife because he, he can't sleep all night. Ooh. And, you know, it's like that, like someone who's willing to sacrifice that much of themselves and still feel satisfied, like, but I did this for other people and I would not change a thing. I mean, that is so inspiring and so incredible, especially because, you know, this business that we work in is, you know, it's like, yeah, you do dance on the line of narcissism because you're basically, oh. hey, I'm going, I'm walking into, I want strangers to like me yeah, for, well, you know. There's a narcissistic impulse in all of this, yes. for sure. But but it, as long as it's contained. Right. I, I don't think, I don't want to be. Not at the expense of another. Narcissism, yeah. my opinion about narcissism, it has liabilities. Sure. The liability of narcissism is envy. Mm-hmm. You have to knock other people down if they have more than you. And empathic failure. So if you lose, if you as with, if you are narcissistically inclined, 
and you lose connection to important feelings and more importantly other people's feelings mm-hmm. that's a problem yeah that's when narcissism is bad i'm i i am for whatever reason i'm lucky i don't have the envy thing like i, I don't have it at all I don't, it's, it's mysterious to me. i like watching people succeed yeah, me too. I, I root for like i me want too. i want people to do well yes i, I and, and if somebody has something more i'm like god i have to work hard to get like that's them. exactly it's right like, like that's where i think that's what i think is healthy competition it's not it's not to achieve at the expense of other it's not a zero-sum game it's not a zero-sum game and you don't you don't need to destroy the people in the process no. it's like oh wow that was really cool that inspires me to try this thing that's the way it always was Throughout history, until we got this narcissistic turn, then it all became right. screwed up. Well, I really hope that uh, you know that people come away from this just at least thinking a little more about things that they don't realize are choices in their lives that are affecting the landscape of their emotional mm-hmm. and mental health. Well, I, I would also say that most of what you think, most of your thought processes are dependent on feelings. Mm-hmm. And what you think is going on is really being generated by feeling states that your brain is trying to make sense of. Right. So pay attention to that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we we do we do kind of live in an opinion is fact era. Exactly. Where it's like I have this thought, and uh, so it's a fact. And it you're is like, so. Well, <laughs> it feels like the earth is flat. Therefore, it's so. You're assuming a lot for that to be for that to be true. Maybe there's other. You know. Maybe there's other other explanations. I'm, you're, I'm, you're well. You're good. I'm good, yeah. Okay, you seem yeah. good, yeah. Yeah, feel feel I love this place. It's Isn't, fantastic. It's really fun. Yeah. The wife and I the wife and I spent a lot of time uh restoring I it. I see, I see it. It's it it comes through. Okay, here's here's all of Drew's stuff. I mean it's it's, it's all drdrew.com. It really is all there. But still, the but doc, still. <laughs> Dr. Drew podcast, the Adam and Drew podcast. The Life You Live podcast, Weekly Infusion podcast, History of Opium, which you said was yes. a limited series. Yeah. KABC's Midday Live podcast, uh, and That's then Drew After Dark in the YouTube show. Oh, yeah. I'm starting something with Tom Segura. Yeah. It starts like next week. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah, good timing. I forgot about that. Yeah, we're going to be um, deconstructing their crazy-ass videos at your mom's house <laughs> and deconstructing comedians. Oh, fantastic. Maybe I'll have you as a guest on that. Yeah, I mean, listen, comedians do enjoy talking about themselves. Yes, they do. But we're going to try to deconstruct a little bit. Christina Christina has a preoccupation with that. Deconstructing comedy or deconstructing like... Well, we'll see. But mostly the... Christina P., you know, is Tom's wife. She keeps going... Why are they so? They're all on the dark side. They're all all fuck. They're all mess. We got to figure it out. <laughs> so, so. Well, comedy is a defense mechanism. I think so. You know, like it's a it's 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 a how we protect ourselves from. And it's a lot of and and comedians always super smart and super interesting. Like really have interesting life experiences almost always. Except Carol is a robot. <laughs> Even his though you've heard his life. You've heard why he's a robot a million times. So Well, it is always a pleasure to see you. Thank you so much for being here. Pleasure. And again, I will never stop telling people this every time you're on, but when I wanted to get sober, I called you. You did not hesitate to put me on the right track. You checked in with me. Your genuine concern when you got nothing more out of it than just knowing that you were helping another person, you know, help change the course of my life. And I will always love you and be appreciative to I, you for, I, for helping me. I appreciate it. And, you know, that kind of stuff keeps me going. I, I'm ready to go for another few weeks just with that and your recovery. And, and I'm grateful. Well, thank you so much. I am grateful, too. And uh, I hope you all are grateful out there. Maybe just write down one thing you're grateful for and just look at it and feel yeah. it and try to absorb the joy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, and as always, uh, enjoy your burrito. And <laughs> Amor Fati, as the uh, as the Stoics did, did, say. Did, did he give you the... I have the coin. The, yeah, yeah, I, I got too. the coin. <laughs> I got the fucking... I got that. Because I said to him... Not like, just to live... 
what misery, but to love it or something. I'm more fine to like to love to basically love fate, love fate, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Not just to accept it, but to love it. Not to accept it, but to love it, to move with it. Uh, The end. It's the ID10T podcast number ten seventeen. That was Doctor Drew returning to the podcast. It's time for word salad rap. Um, Okay, talking a lot about the dangers of social media war. And not in the, like, you know, when I was growing up, it was all about the dangers of backward masking on albums, you know, because it was the 1900s, and that's how rock bands influenced us with their satanic messages, by playing the records backwards. Um, I just mean, listen, it's, social media in and of itself is neutral. It's really just how we perceive it, how we use it, you know, and so, uh, I don't mean avoid it, avoid it. I do think it is a part of our culture that does not seem to be going away anytime soon. But I just mean how to approach it healthier for yourself. Because again, I do think, you know, the more you're on it, the more it just by either comparing yourself to other people that you see or just toxic news cycles or shit that's going on in the world that is, um, you know, just chews away at your soul. That uh, it's just about balancing that stuff. And so... Here's what I'm going to recommend, and by all means, tell me to fuck off. You do not. This is just a suggestion. But um, as I've said a few times before on the podcast, I had been playing so much Nintendo Switch, literally like well over 200 hours of Zelda Breath of the Wild. And so this year I thought, you know, I want to apply that same amount of time and see if I can learn guitar, piano, Italian. So I started becoming a student of things again, and it's been fucking great. And... Part of the way that I was able to do that was to, you know, bargain with the time that I was spending playing video games. I thought, well, if I take, you know, like 250 hours and apply it to a, a new skill set, what, what would I be able to learn? What would I be able to achieve? And so far, it's been really fun, like just amazing. So this is my um, challenge that I pitch out there to you. All right. There's a good chance you probably have an iPhone. If not, no worries. Uh, I'm sure your other non-iPhone phones can do a version of this, uh, but just see if you can track how much time you're spending on social media per week, per day, and just take a few of those hours and swap them out for a new skill set, <laughs> you know? So if you see that you're passively spending like three hours a day on social media, which is, by the way, sadly not an unreasonable amount of time that people spend on there, like that's seems like it might be kind of the norm, at least, you know, maybe just bargain away one of those hours, you know? Or if you see, like, Jesus Christ, 20 hours a week, that's a fucking part-time job. I have a part-time job in social media that doesn't pay me anything other than just I get <laughs> get paid in kicks to the gut. So maybe uh, if you see, like, okay, so that's 20 hours a week I'm passively spending on social media. Uh, and when you go to reach for your... Sometimes when I go to reach for my phone to just start scrolling through Instagram or whatever, I instead grab a guitar. And I just start practicing the pentatonic scale. It's something to do with my hands. It engages me. I immediately forget about the other thing, you know, about, about going to social media. If it's a language, you know, you go to pick up your phone. Instead of opening a social media app, open a language app. You know, allow yourself to spend, you know, if you're spending 20 hours a week on social media, if you just spend even five hours a week trying to learn something new, you're going to have a new fucking skill set in not a lot of time, my friend. So... 
I just think a way to sort of combat like the passive poisoning of our souls and our brains is to learn a new skill set. You'll be inspired. It'll start taking you in directions that you never thought possible, that you never dreamed you would go. And then, you know, you'll see pretty incredible results uh, after, you know, one month, three months, six months, even a year, which goes by like that. It's already fucking September. September in a couple of days. How are we in September of 2019? Uh, time marches fast, especially when we're distracted all the time. So distract yourself with learning and knowledge uh, and uh, take on a new hobby or a thing that is edifying to your soul. And if you can't think of what it is, then just start trying stuff. Pick up a guitar, pick up a violin, you know, start learning, I don't know, learn um, Japanese or like just anything, anything that allows you to create rather than to uh, destroy <laughs> your heart and your soul uh, by wasting too much time on social media. Create the balance. Then maybe trade off some time with yourself. Okay, so if I do an hour of learning this new thing today, then that is my you know payment to myself. That is my reward uh, to then go, you know, spend an hour on social media, whatever it is. So, you know, once you kind of track the data and see how much time you're spending, what and where, then it'll allow you to manipulate that time in ways that can work for you instead of just passively eating away at your life. So uh, I hope any of this makes sense. I hope you try it. And if you do, let us know how it's going. Send us uh, an email at what are you looking at id10t.com. The ad is just the ad symbol. It was much more clever when I came up with the name for the email, and then I realized that I was going to have to explain that every time, so I apologize. That was my, that was my fail. Um, and, uh, and also, go to id10t.com slash sign up. Sign up for our email list to get updates about live shows and new products in the store and podcast guests and all that and exclusive uh, whatnots. So thanks again for uh, listening. I will see you in your ears next week. And uh, as always, I, I appreciate you. All right. Have a good day. ID 10T scanning complete. Enjoy your burrito. 